What happens when two gardeners start looking at botany books online? Listen to this week's episode to find out. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. Too many. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where, why. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Carol. How does your garden grow? Hello, Dee. You know, I've got the good, the bad, and the ugly again. Ready Mm -hmm. for the good? Mm Mm-hmm. So my tomatoes, plants, pepper plants, corn are finally growing because, you know, they were tiny when I put them out there. Hasn't been too hot, except today's kind of hot. And I haven't seen any Japanese beetles yet. Well, that's good. So the bad is I got me some weeds. I'm a little weeding every day because I got to get it under control. And the ugly is the weeds. So why why are the weeds both the bad and the ugly? Because they they make the garden look ugly. Oh, I got it. I got it. Yeah, they do. So you still have Japanese beetles? I do. And I caught several last week in my sudsy water trap and I disposed of them. And in the meantime, I also cut off all of my rose blooms to dissuade them from being there. And then I harvested some of my fingerling potatoes, my green beans, some peppers, and my first two tomatoes. And they were not cherry tomatoes. They were big slicers. And we ate them last night. Yum. I have had several cherry tomatoes off that um, kitchen mini. They sent yes. us, the, they sent me that sample tomato plant. That's, it's only like six inches tall of that, but I've gotten three or four off of that. But they're minis. Well, that works. I mean, so they mature fast, I'm sure. They do. I'm I'm also weeding between thunderstorms. And as we're talking, there's a thunderstorm bearing down on my son's house, which is a few miles from my house. And that's because my internet's down. But that's about another thing that we can talk about later. So do you have a quote for us? I do. I wonder what it would be like to live in a world where it was always June. L. M. Montgomery. Well, we would probably take it for granted, knowing how people are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I've heard that people like San Diego is like always sunshine and seventies, and people it's after a, a while, place. after a while, they want change, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I hear that. I've been to San Diego, and I was there in January, and it was seventy degrees, and I loved every bit of it. Um, so, what are we talking about in our flower? We're doing our new series on flower shapes. And this week, we're going to talk about racemes. Yes, racemes. And racemes are defined as a flower cluster with separate flowers attached by short, equal stalks at equal distances along a central stem. Flowers at the base develop first, and then it blooms up toward the top. Racemes can be simple, or they can be compound. And so... We got this from a website about different flower types, and we will link to that. It's the seed collection because we actually used their quote and definition. But that includes a bunch of different types of plants. Tons of them. 
tons. Including Baptisia, which last week we talked about what did Carol plant in place of camellias? And I planted a bunch of Baptisia in that spot. I bet those Baptisia do a lot better than those camellias did. In yes, Indiana. they do. Yes, <laughs> they do. Some other and racemes so, are yeah. Phlox paniculata, which is actually a and, compound racine, but we're not going to get all complicated. And of course, Lily of the Valley. Yep, it'd be a racine too. So we're going to talk today about one type, just like we did last week. We talked about umbels, and this week we're talking about racemes. And so last week was about, was it about angelicas? I think it was. Yes, and it so was. this week, <laughs> I'm doing good today. And so this week's about Baptisia, because we both grow Baptisias. Yes. And the, my Baptisia was the star of the garden tour a week ago. One of mine. Why, was it huge. still blooming? No, it was not so blooming, but it's huge. And it has giant seed pods on it. I'm, I'm stretching out my arms. And I know you don't believe me that it's this huge, but it is. And people were like, what is that plant? And I said, that plant's trying to eat all the other plants in that bed. So I'm going to have to cut it back. I think it's because of the rain we've had. So oh, tell yeah. about Baptisia's from the Missouri Botanical Garden. Yeah, I looked it up on the Missouri Botanical Garden because you had listed some Baptisia's of a species that I was not aware of. And so um, I had to look up some stuff because I had to get it straight in my mind. But Baptisia, there's about 20 different species. Most of them are native to the United States, Eastern, Southern U.S. Uh, you find them in dry, gravelly soil, which kind of tells you where to put them. They're good for drought. They're good for erosion control. Um, they have huge seed pods, as you know. Yes, they do. And, and the pea-like flowers are very attractive to butterflies and insect pollinators. And I'll tell you, I've got one that's really big and it's flopped over. so kind of a lesson Sometimes for next year. I may need to put support up so it can kind of grow up into the support, which is much easier to support something when it's little and grows into its support than to try to find support once it's a huge, big monster. Yeah, because then it's too late. And I remember that from a book we read a long time ago about we made a garden and mm -hmm. the husband in that was always like big on supports. And I didn't get it until recently. And now I... I, I mean, until 10 years ago, I really think it's important. Like with peonies, if you're going to use a peony support, you want to put it on there early so that right. it can grow up through it. Same thing with Baptisias, Echinaceas. Right now, my hollyhocks are flopped over because of the rain. We got four inches this week. I told you, I told you in an earlier podcast that hollyhocks attract big storms. As soon as they're like up and pretty and like glorious and ready to take a picture. Yeah. You say, yeah. well, I'll just wait till after this thunderstorm and then they'll be all flat on the ground and there will be no picture. Well, I'm actually going to prop mine up after I get done here. I'm going to go back home, stick some bamboo sticks in there and tie them to them and they'll be okay. But these are not very tall hollyhocks. So that's a good news. So the name, the genus name Baptisia comes from the Greek word bapto, meaning to die, because I think think isn't it the pods well the, die, I, I don't know if it's the pods I think it was the flowers but they used to are the common name is false indigo because right. they would use the flowers I think as a substitute for indigo indigo which is really you, hard to grow indigo will give you a much much better blue than right. Asia, but it's a you know if you're a 
hobbyist or whatever, I suppose you could give it a whirl. Are you going to dye anything with your flowers, Dee? Well, it's funny you should ask me that because um, my friend Karen Collier and she and her husband, John, came over last night and she actually does do some dyeing with natural flowers and natural seed pods. And, and she goes, would you like to do some dyeing this summer? And I thought, I don't know if I would or not, but yeah, if it's your house, sure, I'll come over and dye. So she's collecting calendula and a bunch of other things that you use to dye. And also we should mention that Baptisias, although they use them for false indigo um, dyes, they're not all blue. Baptisias come in a multitude of colors. And if you want to see a good representation of those colors, if you go over to Nan Andra's blog for this month, Hayfield, yeah. she talks about all the Baptisias that she let go to seed and then she cross-pollinated. And she, so she's got a whole Hayfield line of Baptisias. Oh, and I, I thought would, that was really interesting. I will put a link to that. Because I bought some seeds from her the other day. So, um, but I thought her Baptisias, and I have some of these ones. So which Baptisias best in your mind? I, I don't know. I've got like six or seven, but I don't really know other than which one is purple smoke. The others, I just, they were in flower and they were pretty and I got them to plant in place of the camellias. So I have like six over there. And mm-hmm. so there are tags somewhere and I could marry up the tags to the things to tell you what I have, but that's a lot of work. I'm not doing that. I know that I have some of these. I have screaming yellow. Well, we should, first of all, we should say that Mount Cuba center, it's a nonprofit botanical garden that's located in Hakasin. I'm probably butchering that guys, Delaware near Wilmington, Delaware, they did a three-year study of Baptisias in the landscape. And these were their top performers. And I have several of these. So I have Screaming Yellow. And I have I had Purple Smoke, but eventually it died. I have Cherry's Jubilee, which is up by the purpley blue one that's trying to eat the entire front bed. Um, I bought Blueberry Sunday this year, but I couldn't find a place to put it. So I actually gave it to a friend. I gave it to my friend, Casey. So there, there are a lot of these that are out that are really good. Um, purple smoke, smoke does not produce uh, seed pods. I do remember that about it. Um, Screaming yellow is a very bright yellow. I also have Carolina moonlight. Did you ever hear that one? I do not have Carolina moonlight. No, I do have Carolina moonlight. I, well, it's kind of a pale yellow. Carolina moonlight. I can't find it. So it, I don't know if it died out, but I wanted to go back to purple smoke. Yeah, so mine never purple smoke seeds. is a hybrid, so it right. will produce seed, but the seed won't be anything. It won't be purple smoke at all. So don't. So mess mine up. never would. Mine never would produce seed pods. Really? I, I'm yeah. sure mine's got seed pods out there because I cut them off might after be. a while. I don't right. want these to go to seed because you know, again, huge plants, deep yeah. roots really hard to get rid of if you don't want it. If you want it, it's going to die on you. That's plants. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's just plants in general, isn't it? I mean, if you own a $200 daylily, and yes, there is such a thing, that's the one that's going to die in your garden. My $10 one that's red has been there. It's called Red Volunteer. I think it's a $5 one at this point. That thing, you couldn't stop it if you tried. And it's the same thing with certain Baptisias. So I lost purple smoke. Eventually it died out. And huh. that's okay because I didn't need it. Cherry's Jubilee has always stayed very small. And I have one of the chocolate ones, although I don't have Dutch chocolate. 
Anyway, there are lots and lots of different ones out there on the market from the species, you know, where you, they're the straight species all the way. And they run from yellows to kind of a chocolatey color to almost a red, but not really. And then I've seen them in purple and blue and white. I had a white one at one time. Right. I actually have a pink one called pink truffles, which is very unusual. And um, I bought it from a guy locally. Yeah. And because there's several different species, many of the, I think a lot of the Baptisias on the market, like purple smoke are actually hybrids of where they've done a lot of crossbreeding. So it's a great big plant. I'll say big three to four feet on a good year. So don't put it on the front of the border, mid to back, depending on how tall your border is mid to back. And then, like I said, I, I sometimes will cut off the seed pods just um just so I don't have anything go to seed and also I don't know because I'm insane I don't know I just do it I don't cut the seed pods off and I've never had any of them come up from seed but that's just my house and my conditions and who knows why I had another thought about them oh in Oklahoma if we have a really dry year they die back to the ground after they bloom really and then they hide yes and then they hide and you think they're dead and then they come back up next spring but on a year like this year they try to eat your bed. So you just never know what you're going to do. Also, they have a taproot. You mentioned they have deep roots. They have a great big taproot, which I think makes them hard to transplant. Don't go dig them in the wild. Just buy one. I mean, a lot of places, a lot of native plant supply places sell them. They're not hard to get. I do love them. They're one of the first things to bloom. Queen carpenter bees love them. Bumblebees love them. And it's just a joy to give them something. How's that? That's that's good. And I think they're very lovely. And even in my smaller garden, I have found room for Baptisias because they are pretty. They are pretty. So you ready for the next quote? Go for it. Spring being a tough act to follow, God created June. Al Bernstein. Okay, that is just a sweet quote. It I is. I like it. You see the that's theme. That's like one I quote. would frame. You see the theme. Yes, it's about June. I got yeah. it. Yeah. Good job. So the next time, next thing we're going to talk about, not next time, the next thing is our veggie. And believe it or not, cold crops have racine flowers. Exactly. If you let them go to flower. And so that brings us to the vegetable we're actually going to talk about is collard, collard greens. Collards. 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 Yeah. And there is a national seed saving project, which is trying to keep the species genetic diversity and mm-hmm. showcasing its historical importance. And this goes back to the uh, Seed Savers Exchange, which is... I was going to has to be Southern Southern Exposure or just, or is it Seed Savers? Which one? It's Seed Savers. And so, yeah, well, Ira Wallace, who we both know from the Southern yeah. Exposure Seed Exchange, she worked with the um, Seed Savers Exchange in Decorah, Iowa to collect and grow them. all these different colliards and they call it the heirloom colliard product project and we'll link to some information about why, it why are you calling it colliard i don't know because a, i'm from it's Indiana. collard it's collard. collard i don't know from do you, what, have, do you eat, know. have you eaten a lot of colored greens in your no, life no no i don't really oh. like cooked greens <laughs> have you have you ever grown collards no i don't know oh, i have collards. Okay. I'm not helping with the genetic diversity of it because I don't grow any of it. So Um, they're easy to grow. They're very easy to grow. 
they don't like super hot summers, but people in the South love to eat them. So they, they will tolerate more heat than say Chinese mustard or some of the chards like vivid chard. So if you let them go to seed, then you're going to end up with some that have racing flowers. That's right. And I was looking at some of the variety names um, and they have names like old timey blue, which obviously has a bluish tint to the leaf, North right. Carolina yellow, Miss Annie Pearl Councilman and green. I like that one. <laughs> huh? I like that Miss Annie Pearl Councilman. And green glaze. <laughs> Those are some good names. Yeah. So now they have, they have, I think it's important that we preserve collards. Um, I think collard greens are delicious, especially cooked with a little bit of fat back, but that's just going back to my childhood and stuff. Yeah. They did a whole thing with trying to gather all these. And there's a really nice picture that shows the diversity. You wouldn't think that they would all look that different, but there's quite a bit of difference. And one of the things they find yeah, out, they are. and this is true of a lot of these old varieties that people just save seed every year. And so obviously they're having to let them go to flower. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that were saving these seeds, I hate to say this, but they're dying out and they don't really have anybody, you know, waiting in the wings to take over the collection or the keeping of the variety. So mm-hmm. it's good that organizations like Seed Savers Exchange and Southern Southern Exposure Seed Exchange. Yeah. That they're stepping in to sort of to save these varieties because that's important. It is important. And Ira Wallace is a a great historian and she wrote that book about the Southeast and she knows so much about gardening in the Southeast and also just about history and culture and such. So pretty cool. Yeah. It's fun to highlight her work and uh, we'll leave a link and people can go read all about this project. And I'm not going to say our... C-O-L-L-A-R-D-S again. You'll just just put an I in it. It's just collars. I don't know why I want to put an I in there because I'm from Indiana. <laughs> so you can do our next quote? I am. One benefit of summer was that each day we had more light to read by. Jeanette Walls. And that's the best part of summer, isn't it? I mean, ultimately, yes. is that you can read books and um, at nighttime, the light is much, much later. I've been watching the fireflies in my garden. And so every night after when it starts to get dark, we go sit on my deck and watch the fireflies. That's, That's just cool. summer to me. So on the bookshelf is us because we're hilarious is Plant Families, a guide for gardeners and botanists by Ross Baton and Simon. I'm just going to pronounce it as Maun or Mon. I don't know how you pronounce it. I think that's usually okay. Well, we're going to say Mon. And so these are uh, British books. This is a British book. Well, yeah, there was one. So we were trying to figure out the book, and I ran and got this book off my shelf. And it is really nice. It's nicely illustrated. Uh, You know, anybody that's into gardening, you could go through and just peruse the different families and find out something. So we looked this up online and that's when we got the big surprise that there are three (laughs) books in this series. And I had one and you had none. I had zero. And now you have the other two, you have all three books and two books are coming my way. (laughs) So you still haven't gotten them yet? No. They, okay. This is what happens people. 
this we need to be on Patreon just so that we can recoup our costs because we spend so much money on this silly, silly podcast of ours. Um, so we ended up with Plant Families, yep. a guide for gardeners. I did not, but I had to buy it, of course. And then we ended up with Latin for Gardeners, over 3,000 plant names explained and explored by Lorraine Harrison. And then not to be outdone, Practical Botany for Gardeners by George Hodge. So now we all, now both of us own all three of these. And these are not simple books. I read, I read the botany one and I realized how much botany I have forgotten. Well, yeah. So that's what the fun of it is, is you pick, you, you remember what you forgot. And I can just pick up one. I have a college textbook. This is going to sound really geeky on plant physiology. And I open that book and think, did I used, did I used to know this stuff? And I have little notes on the margin and I'm like, I used to know this stuff. <laughs> Who was that person? So dear listeners, by us talking about racemes and umbels and whatever it is we're going to talk about next week, we are talking about botany. And we also talk about plant families almost every single time. And we always use Latin names off and on. And so I, we need these books. Yes. And so I will call attention to the plant, the blog post and video that I've put out about the new plant family that I've discovered called Legolaceae, <laughs> which is my <laughs> Lego flowers. That one made flowers, me laugh. Which is <laughs> my Lego, Lego flowers. flowers. So I'm going to, I'm yes. going to leave a link to that so people can see that surprisingly D or not surprisingly, Legolaceae is not in the botany, the plant families book. Oh, you don't think so? I'm just no. really surprised by that. No, I've looked it up and I'm thinking, oh, well, uh, it's not in here. And that's not a surprise because when I came up with that plant family name, I did Google it and nobody else had come up with it either. So I'll just that's put funny. a little note in the index and say, if you're looking for Lego Lacey, it's not here. <laughs> but it is on a video and a blog post. That's right. So there you go. And no, I still don't have my post finished that I was going to do last week because, well, my internet went down several days ago and it's still not fixed because I live in the country. My son lives three miles away and I'm at his house and he has Cox Cable. I think that's unfair, but that's that okay. I'm glad, he, I'm glad he lives close by. So can I do the next quote? Absolutely. Because it's my quote, my thing. I've grown a thing, Jeremy Clarkson. So our dirt this week is Jeremy Clarkson's farm. And I'm telling you, it is the funniest thing I've watched in a long time. And it's on, I think it's on, is it on Prime Video? I think it's it on is. Amazon Prime Video. Amazon Prime, yeah, Prime Video. Yeah. I was reading today and I've watched it all too. And then there's tons of clips on YouTube. But oh I gosh, was so reading funny. today that it is Amazon's top rated show of all time. Are you kidding? <laughs> no. And in this, oh, that's bit, funny. Some IMBD, IMDB, that rating, you know, for shows. Yeah, the rating. Mm -hmm. Here's a 9.3 out of 10, which they said is unheard of. I mean, this is a hit. And you loved it too, right? I loved it. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. And it's also serious. It is hilarious. Time. Yes. The serious message about how difficult farming is. And this is obviously taking place in the UK. Jeremy Clarkson is known for being the former host of Top Gear, which is a show I've never watched. Very um, famous car show. Very famous car show, as I understand it. But the premise is he, he bought a farm in the Cotswolds in 2008, I think. 
Yeah, I think and it was 2008. In, in 2019 or 2020? 2020. It was, it was 2019 at first, but then yes, this series runs through 2020. Well, so he's get COVID in there. There's a guy that was farming. This is a thousand acre farm. So the guy that was farming right. says, I'm going to retire. And so Jeremy Clarkson's like, how hard could this be? And yeah, so he thought, because he's a smart guy. I mean, and I'll be honest with you. I didn't like him on Top Gear. It was his job to be the agitator on Top Gear. That was his role of the three of them. And I didn't like him on that. But by the end of Clarkson's farm, I loved him because he loves that farm. He loves that and he farm. loves the people, the people who work for him and the, the stupid sheep, which are really one of the funniest part of the whole thing. Oh, my and gosh. I know. And his girlfriend is very sweet. I'm telling you guys, if you need an uplifting thing to watch, this is a good one. And here's the big news. I found out today there will be what? a season two. Yay. They're I can't tell you how now. happy that makes me. They're filming now. So anyway, yeah, he's done a thing, as he would say. Yes, he's done a thing. And he's, and then what was cute is he said, I grew a thing. I've grown a thing because, you know, he always used to say, I've done a thing when he was on the other show, but you can see that he was really pleased with himself when he learned how to grow things. Yeah. He grew potatoes and then he, they have a farm shop called, and they calls it diddly squat farms. And so, <laughs> I mean, it's farm. just, it's, it is funny, <laughs> but there's some serious messages in it, but yeah. Yeah. About large scale farming. Yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. No, it's not easy. And I admire all the farmers out there because I don't think I could do it. I don't so either. what are you going to do in your garden this week? Well, I'm going to finish up all my shrub and tree trimming. I have an arborist crew that's coming on Friday to do some trimming in my honey locust because it's way up there and they're going to have to climb up there. Um, they're also going to take out some overgrown junipers and grind out the stumps. And they said, okay. if I had any other branches I had, they would take. So there will be a huge pile in my driveway when they get here. But the funny thing, I'm, I'm mining my beeswax. And there's somebody's marked the utilities by the water meter by the street. And I'm like, what's that all about? So I mm -hmm. called the water company and they connected me with the 811 digging people. And he said, oh, yeah, your arborist requested that because they're going to grind out stumps but the stumps are up by the house. And so, you know, he says all the utility people have to come and mark their utilities by the end of the day today, Monday. I'm like, Oh, mm -hmm. this now makes sense. Why, why suddenly utilities are being marked. So it's a good crew that they're doing that. Um, you don't yeah, want to dig in grinding out stumps or doing anything like that until you have your utilities marked. That's for yeah. sure. That's my tip for the day. What are you doing in your garden? I'll be weeding. I'll be weeding and I've got to check my bees between thunderstorms like tomorrow. Well, tomorrow I'm going to the greenhouse, but um, Wednesday, then Wednesday, I got to check my bees because it's it's a little past time and I've got to feed some and do some of that. But also, um, yeah, weeding. I got to weed and cut things back like all weed. the scapes and stuff. Scapes on their lows. Yeah. yeah, because all this rain, the crabgrass is crazy. It's completely crazy. And the Johnson grass it came out of nowhere too. So I'm going to be busy. Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. You are going to be busy. So anyway, we want to thank everyone for listening to the Garden Angelus. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss anything.
And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you use those affiliate links, especially to buy books, you... It helps us. (laughs) Yeah, it helps us. Uh, We earn a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.